0: I hope that you knew it was Father's Day before you got here today. I really do. I used to tell my wife, you know, okay, Mother's Day is over with. Like I start the week, that week in May, I'm like three or four weeks from now, it's gonna be Father's Day. So you and Philip get ready, because it's coming, right? And it never really did any good at all. And still today, I haven't heard from my son today. So I don't know, maybe he'll wake up and realize it's Father's Day, I have no idea. But that's the way it works, right? Mothers are valuable, dads are like, meh, you know. But really, here's the deal. Dads are irreplaceable. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to share a message with you about fathers, about family today. You probably expected that. We're going to take a break from the Remarkable series just for today. And next week, Pastor David will be here, and he'll be sharing from the book of Mark again with you guys. But today we're going to be in the book of Titus. And you guys may remember, you may not, back in January I brought a message uh, on the the church's greatest need. shared with you that a thousand pastors in America, evangelical pastors had identified that they believe the church's greatest need today was leadership. They, they shared that through a study, a Barna study. And, uh, and I brought a message from the book of Titus, the first chapter on the church's greatest need and that being leadership. Well, today I want to talk about what I believe is a father's greatest opportunity. So we're going to be in Titus. If you want to go ahead and take your Bible and find that, we'll look at that, step, that passage in just a minute, beginning in chapter one there. Um, I think the reason the church has a leadership crisis is because we've let everybody in the world identify us except our creator, except our father, who knows who we're supposed to be. And fathers, that goes for us as well. We've let the world shape us, you know, speak into our lives instead of letting God actually communicate to us who we're supposed to be. You'll remember from that book, because honestly, we, we don't preach a lot from the book of Titus. It's a letter from Paul to a guy named Titus who was left on the island of Crete to, as Paul says in verse 5, set right what was left undone and appoint elders in every city. In other words, appoint pastors in every city. So he's left Titus there to do this job that we have no evidence that Titus has ever done before. And yet he's doing as Paul directed him and Paul gives him a lot of practical instructions. The truth is there's a lot of good leadership principles in the book of Titus. So though they're written for Titus to go appoint pastors, There's a lot of great principles we can apply to even our lives as dads. And this morning, what I want to do is share three of those principles with you in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to read this quote to you from Tony Evans. Tony wrote a book several years ago called Kingdom Man. Some of you may have read that. The subtitle of that book I love. Every man's destiny, every woman's dream. A kingdom man. This is what Tony Evans says in that book. If you're a messed up man, you are going to contribute to a messed up family. If you are a messed-up family, you are going to contribute to a messed-up church. If you're a messed-up church, you're going to contribute to a messed-up community. If you're a messed-up community, you're going to contribute to a messed-up state. You know where this is going, right? If you're a messed-up state, you're going to contribute to a messed-up country. And if you're a messed-up country, you're going to contribute to a messed-up world. Then he says, therefore, the only way to have a better world made up of better countries composed of better states, filled with better communities, influenced by better churches, inhabited by better families, is to become a better man. Now, dads, before you think this is going to be the traditional bash dads on Father's Day sermon, it's not. I want to be positive today because I want to encourage you with this idea. I think Dr. Evans' quote probably is the oversimplification of the problem that we feel in our world, but we live in a messed up world. Would anybody argue with that? <laughs> and you know what, we all help mess it up, right? I didn't hear as so many amens on that one, but the reality is, yeah, and it's not just men, it's not just dads, but you can't, you can't minimize the importance of a man's influence on his family, on a dad's influence on his kids. We all know that. That's why I have entitled this message today, Every Father's Greatest Opportunity. Because to lead your kids is the greatest opportunity, I believe, that God gives any dad. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The bottom line is that fathers are an essential part of God's plan. Now, I want us to look in Titus today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for God and for his word. We're going to look in Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. And I'm going to read through chapter 2, verse 8. And I want you to think, as you, as you hear, think about leadership principles here. He says, So this in verse 10. For there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Chapter two. But you, Titus, are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled worthy of respect, sensible, sound in faith, love, and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They're to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, homemakers, kind, and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything, Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. Thank you. You can be seated. So that's a long passage of scripture. There's a lot in there. And let me just say that I'm not gonna do a deep dive exegetically into every one of those verses. I could probably just preach on two or three of those verses today and that would be enough. But I wanna kinda take a higher view Not getting the weeds so much today because I want to talk about these three principles that relate to dads that are found here in this passage. You know, at Marley, we define leadership very simply as this taking responsibility for your influence. Every single one of us, man or wife, male or female, we all, children, all of us have influence with other people. Every one of us. And, And you may not think that sometimes. Satan tries to talk us out of our influence, I think, a lot of times. But the reality is, all of us have influence with other people. Jesus said that we would be salt and light. Not that we should be, but that we are. That just our presence in the world would have an impact on people because we know the Lord. We have influence. And so we are called to lead other people. I don't think any of us would argue with the fact that fathers, therefore, have an enormous amount of influence on their families. So whether you lived in a family growing up that had a present godly father or whether you lived in a family that had an absent ungodly father or anything in between, you probably identify yourself today in some way because of the influence of your father on you. We can't escape it. God put us in a family with a father and whether the influence was strong or whether it was weak, it still had an influence on us. So dads, we have a great opportunity, the greatest opportunity, I believe, to lead our kids. That's the way I approach parenting with my son. You remember that first time, dads, that you held that little bundle. You know, we saw these families up here today with their kids and, and their kids are a little older. but you remember the first time in the hospital when you got to hold your son or daughter and, and the weight of that responsibility kind of bared down on your soul and you were like, this kid is gonna depend on me for everything, initially. Man, what a huge responsibility. What a great opportunity to get to lead them, to get to show them the things of God. But like many of you dads, I, I couldn't do that alone. I have a great encourager in my life. Her name is Christy. She's my wife. And through the thirty-eight seven years, almost 38 years that we've been married, she's constantly helped me as a dad do a better job because she's, she sees things differently than I do. And she'll say, hey, when you looked at him, you had that look on your face that was like mean, angry. No, I smile all the time. I say, no, you never smile. You always look angry every time you And I needed that help. You said that to him in kind of a harsh way. You need to go back and fix that. I didn't say that. Yeah, you did. Okay, I need that help. And that's the great thing about being in a marriage, a godly marriage, is you can take instruction from each other, and I needed that, and so do you. Now, let me give you just a disclaimer at the start of this, because several years ago, a lady came up to me after I preached a message about family, and she said, listen, she's a single lady, and she goes, listen, some of us don't have a family. So when you preach messages on the family, we don't really know what to do with that. And I said, well, well, let me ask you a question. I said, do you ever want to have a family? Do you ever want to be married? Yeah. And do you want to have a family once you're married? Yeah. I said, well, then great. You need this. You may not need it today, but tuck it away because it may be beneficial in your life later. So whether you are a dad or have a dad or want to be a dad, whatever your role is, you need something that's going to come from this message today. So I want to encourage you. So here are the three principles I want to share with you quickly this morning. The first is this. Leadership always represents challenges. We know that. That's why we don't want to lead. (laughs) Because it's hard. Because there are things about it we can't anticipate. And we know that if we're the leader of something, especially a family, that when those challenges come along, we either choose to deal with them or we choose to ignore them. And we think sometimes that if we ignore them, they'll somehow go away. Does that ever really happen? No. As the leader, if you don't deal with things, they tend to get worse. There tend to be worse consequences if you don't deal with them. And the reality is, we don't want to lead things because we know that as we step up to lead, we're the one that's going to have to figure out how to deal with the challenges. Well, as you lead your families, dads, guess what? There are going to be challenges. Paul's writing to Titus here, and he talks about refuting these false teachers. Now, he's talking specifically about the gospel. He talks about the Judaizers, The Judaizers were people who came in and said, well, you guys, Paul, that are preaching the gospel, that all you have to do is put your trust in Jesus Christ to be saved. Wait, 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 that's not right. You need to become Jewish first, go through the Jewish rituals, be circumcised, do all those things, keep keep the Jewish rituals. And then, yeah, it's fine if you trust Jesus as your savior, that's fine. Then you'll be saved. And Paul was like, no, 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 that's not how you get saved. That's not the gospel. So there was an argument in the very first church about what the gospel is. That's not foreign. We have people today who are saying, it's not enough just to pray and receive Christ as Savior. You can't be saved that way. That's too easy. That's easy believism. There's a book that comes out every five or 10 years by some prominent Christian leader who says that's not enough and it causes the church to doubt. Well, that's what I did. I prayed to receive Christ. You're telling me I can't be saved. What do I have to do? Let me tell you what the Bible says. Jesus said, this is the only thing you can do to be saved. Jesus Jesus said this, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's it, that's the gospel. Anybody adds to it, they're a Judaizer in my mind. They're a grace killer. It's about grace. You don't have anything to do with your salvation except you receive it, that's your part. You had nothing to do with it, right? So here's the thing, Paul's writing to Titus and he's telling him, you gotta combat these people. You gotta be a leader. In other words, he says, you gotta refute them. You gotta silence them. You gotta rebuke them. Now I don't know about you, But those are three things that most of us don't want anything to do with, right? Silencing, rebuking, refuting. As a dad, sometimes in the lives of your kids, you have to silence them. And I'm not talking about beating them up. I'm just talking about you have to refute the wrong ideas that they believe, the things that they get constantly given to them every day through the media that they take in through social media and all the other forms of media that they have access to now. So as a dad, that's your role. You have to lead them into the truth. You have to share the truth of the gospel with them. There's a guy who wrote a book 28 years ago. His name is Josh McDowell. Some of you know Josh, have heard of him. He was a prominent youth communicator for many, many years. He wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict and uh, More Than a Carpenter. These were Christian apologetic books. And he was a Christian apologist. And he wrote this book in 1994 called Right from Wrong. And that's not actually the title. The actual title is A new study reveals the majority of church youth can no longer determine right from wrong. That's the actual title of the book. In 1994, 28 years ago. That book is prophetic. You look around at what we're dealing with in our culture now and you kind of go, how did we get here in my lifetime? How did we get to this place where there's 42 different gender identifications? How did we get there, right? And you go back and read Josh's book that he wrote 28 years ago. He predicted every bit of this stuff was gonna happen. Why? Because he said then, that what has been coming for years is that Christian youth and secular youth alike are being taught over and over again that truth is relative. In other words, there is no absolute truth. You know what an absolute truth is? An absolute truth is something that's true for every person every place and every time. An example of that would be the sun is hot. That's true whether you live here, whether you live in Colorado, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when you lived, if you lived 150 years ago or you live now, whatever. That truth is true for every person. That's just an example. Well, we live in a culture that says truth is absolutely relative. In other words, you can do whatever you want. You can have your truth and I can have my truth. When's the last time you heard that? And if that's true for you, that's great, man but that's not true for me, right? Two plus two can be five, six, seven, eight, whatever. It's not necessarily four. That's your truth. Don't push your truth on me. I don't believe that. And I, I am the arbiter of my own truth. That's the world we live in now. Those kids 28 years ago that were in my youth group, were you know, 13 to 18, whatever, they're now 41 to 46, some of you. And guess what, now you have teenagers. Whole generational cycle has happened since Josh wrote that book, and it was prophetic because most of what he said was going to come true has come true in our culture, because we live in a culture that doesn't embrace the idea of absolute truth anymore. The first value of Marbley Baptist Church is this: biblical truth. And here's how we define that at Marbley: God's word is the standard for all decisions, actions, and relationships. God's word, right there. That's it. This is absolute truth. But dads, you gotta teach your kids that because they're not gonna get it in the schools. When Josh wrote that book, Right From Wrong, I sent a copy of that book to every superintendent of every school in our area that we had kids involved in. I even went and met with some of them. And I said, I know this is about church youth, but you've got a lot of church youth in your, in your schools. And the reality is, if we don't address this issue, we got big trouble coming. I had no idea what the world would look like 28 years later. It's crazy, right? It doesn't matter what you think. Sorry to offend you this morning. It never matters what I think, okay? It doesn't matter what Lady Gaga or Billie Eilish or anybody who's in the media or some politician, it doesn't matter what they think. What matters is what God thinks. He's the author of truth. But as dads, if we're not teaching our kids that, not just once, but over and over and over again, there's no way we can combat the lies that they're getting in their lives constantly. We have to be the arbiters of truth. We have to share the truth with them. That's what matters. We have to do that because we live in a culture that is so corrupt that it doesn't ever teach them that truth is absolute. But we have truth written down. So we don't have to wonder, we don't have to guess about what it is, we have it. But it's our job as dads, it's our privilege, it's our opportunity to lead our kids to know the truth. And that's challenging in the world that we live in, it is. And I feel for you parents, and I pray for you parents because it's harder now than it was even 15 years ago when I had a kid at home, it is. Because they're bombarded constantly and they will be bombarded constantly with messages that are lies. So we, as their parents, especially as dads, have this amazing opportunity to lead them. But yeah, leading is a challenge. It always represents challenges. The second thing I want you to see this morning here is that leadership always requires consistency. He talks about here, he says, but you are to claim things consistent with sound teaching. So that was important. And you have to understand, at this time when Paul's writing to Titus, there's no New Testament written down. So for the Christians, what is the sound teaching that Paul's talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. So he's saying, when you teach things, teach things that are consistent with the Old Testament. Don't confuse people. Don't do like the Judaizers and cause confusion in people's lives because you're teaching things that don't fit. And listen, if your responsibility as a leader is to share Christian truth with people as you teach a connect group or whatever it is, and you think you've found some brand new truth that no one's ever discovered but you in the Christian life, you're probably wrong. If it doesn't fit with sound teaching that's already come before you, it's probably not sound. What he's saying here is he's talking about the importance of consistency. The word he uses is the word "prepa," which means to fit. He said it ought to fit. Your life, your teaching, Titus, has to fit. Well, guess what? As dads, I don't know anything more encouraging and more discouraging than a dad who's either consistent or inconsistent. Now, certainly we want to tell our kids about the truth. That's telling them. But we also have to show them. We have to model for them, dads. What is the most important thing you can model for your kids? This is it. I think as a dad, the most important thing you can model for your kids is that you currently are seeking as a dad to know and do God's will in your life today. Not when you were 15, not 15 years ago, not five years ago. Today, you are currently seeking to know and do the will of God. Your kids will catch that from you, I promise. And if that's not true in your life, guess what? your kids will catch that too. Because they're, they're not always going to be three years old. They're not always going to be little babies. They're going to grow up with a mind of their own one of these days and shock you. <laughs> they're going to think for themselves. And they're going to look at your life, dad. And if they see inconsistency, they're not going to be motivated by that. They're going to be discouraged by that. So you got to be consistent, even when your kids grow up and leave your house. I think one of the things that was so Telling for me as a youth pastor for so many years was I would watch these parents who would raise their kids and attend church with them. These, these parents promise to get their kids and have them here at church. That's great. But what happens when their kids leave, when they launch, when they go to college or they get a job or they leave home? You know what some parents do? They quit coming to church. I have seen this over and over and over again in our church. They go to church consistently. They're involved in everything. And when their kids launch, they're like, bye kids, bye church. And you know what their adult kids do? Their adult kids look at that and go, wait a minute. I thought that was true. I thought that mattered. I thought that made a difference in our lives. No. Now you don't need church anymore. You don't need to be involved with God's people anymore. Maybe I don't either. That's what happens. So we have a great opportunity to be consistent in our lives, in our personal relationship with the Lord. See, I think when kids look back on their parents' lives and they see the inconsistency, it's a, such a discouraging thing that some of them choose to walk away from the faith too because they, what they see is not consistent. What they see is, is fake. You, as a parent, as a dad, listen, what you ought to want for your kids more than anything else is for them to love God enough that they want to know and do his will. You can't, there's not a better thing you can wish for your kids, really. Not your will, <laughs> okay, his will. And you don't probably know his will for their life. They're going to have to seek that out. You're going to have to help them with that. But as they know his will, there's nothing better they can do. But that's part of our responsibility as dads is leading them to that place. Well, what, let me just say, say this. What is God's will for your kids? Simply put, it's this, that your kids would leave your house and become leaders in their generation for the Lord. That's, that's God's will. You know, many years ago, we established this um, this parenting discipleship strategy here at our church called Merge. You've probably seen something on a wall somewhere in our buildings about that. And the idea of Merge was combining the influence of church and home. You guys remember this? It was like 12 years ago. In the last few years, we haven't talked a lot about this, but it's still a strategy that works really well. It deals with five stages of spiritual development that every one of your kids are going to go through. They're going to move through those five stages. The first stage is spiritual foundation. It's like these little kids that were up here this morning, you know? We teach them basic things about God, things they're able to understand. At some point in their life, as Corey talked about, they get to the second stage, which is spiritual birth. They come to the place where they want to put their faith in Jesus Christ, to entrust their souls to Jesus Christ. And God saves them. That's beautiful. And then the third stage is spiritual discovery. They begin to read God's word and they begin to, as Christians, understand it because now they're alive to God. They have the Holy Spirit living in them to illuminate God's word to them. And they begin to understand the things of God. They make spiritual discoveries. The fourth stage is spiritual ownership. When they begin to go, God, I have a relationship with you. My parents have taught me, but now it's between me and you. I read my Bible because I want to know more about you. I pray because I want a relationship with you. I give my money because it's money you've given me and entrusted me with, and I want to give it back to you in worship. I go on mission trips and serve you because I love you and I want people to know about you. In other words, the relationship with God becomes their own. They own it. The last stage is spiritual leadership. And that's them coming to the place often when they're high school students or college students where they go, now I want to be an influencer for Jesus Christ. I'm for him, I'm with him, I'm on his team, I'm for his cause, I believe in Christianity, I believe in him, and I'm gonna live my life for him. So I want people to know about him. And that is the full cycle because you as a dad are leading your kids to the place where they will also become leaders who will then lead other people to Jesus. That's the cycle. That's the discipleship cycle that happens in our lives. It's all based on leadership. It's all based on consistency. Somewhere around our church, we have a a mission statement that says that we are a church full of people who are leading other people to a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. The question is, do we believe it? We are people who are leading people. Are you? Dads, are you leading? You can, and there's no greater opportunity you have than to lead your kids, but you've got to be consistent. If you're inconsistent in your life, your kids are going to know that, and it's going to become a discouraging thing. The third thing I want to share with you this morning is this. Leadership relies on a meaningful connection. He talks about here in chapter 2 these different generations, and the reality is generations don't understand each other. Now, you look around this room, we've got several generations represented in this room. And we can all sit in a room together and worship the Lord and study the word together, right? But we're different. We don't all like the same things. We didn't all grow up with the same influences. We're different people. And that's why Paul says to Titus, look, you've got to be intentional if you want to have a relationship with other generations because you generally don't understand each other. What's more important than the things that divide you, though, is the things you have in common, Jesus Christ. So what you have in common with other generations when you sit in a church together is that all of you came to Jesus Christ by faith. So you all came from the same place. You were all sinners. You all needed a savior and you all put your faith in Jesus Christ if you're believers. And so you have that great thing in common. That's more important than all the things that divide us in our generations. So Paul's instructing Titus, hey, tell them, look, leadership relies on a meaningful connection. You've got to be able to have a meaningful connection. Now Josh McDowell said something many years ago about parenting that I always thought was really, really helpful to parents. And he said this, rules when it comes to teenagers and kids, rules without relationship always leads to rebellion. Rules without relationship always leads to rebellion. Think about your own kids. You know, you have a relationship with them, but how's that? how is the relationship? Because a relationship is a dynamic thing. It changes all the time. It's not static just because you have a relationship with somebody, your spouse, your friend, your aunt, your uncle. Just because you have a relationship doesn't mean it stays great. It only is as good as the investment that you're currently making in it. So your marriage can have a great Bond and then that bond can change over time. Your relationship with your kids is the same way. You can be close to them. You can have a real meaningful connection to them and then they can begin to drift away. And when they're teenagers, let's just face it, sorry teenagers, they get weird. I mean, right? They quit talking to you. All of a sudden, you don't know anything about anything. All of a sudden, that little kid that used to sit on your lap and think you were the king of the world, now you're the idiot of the world. They don't, they don't wanna know what you think about anything. So it becomes challenging. But here's the deal, when that relationship begins to drift apart, it's not your kid's responsibility to come to you and reestablish that connection. It's yours, Dad. I used to tell people all the time, it's not just quality time you spend with your kids. The older they get, it's quantity time. Because sometimes, especially with teenagers, you just need to be with them a long time and give them your full attention. So for me, the way that looked in my family, I've shared this before, is we got this horrendous fence row between our house and our neighbor's house. I mean, it, every wild thing in the world grows on it and it, it's out of control constantly and I don't have anybody to help me trim it now. If you want to come over? Come on over today and I'll help you, we can help each other do that. But my son used to help me with that every year. So I would say, hey, Philip, it's time to go out and clean the fence row. Oh, dad, he hated it. It was work, but I knew it was going to take four or five hours and the cell phone, nope, we're not bringing cell phones out here. Nope, we're just going to clean the fence row. So after about an hour of that, he'd start talking and he'd just start telling me stuff. I didn't have to ask him 20 questions. He just started talking about his friends at school. He talked about what's going on with them. He talking about his own life, talked about the Lord, talked about the person he was interested in dating, all that stuff I wanted to know, but I couldn't get out of him by asking him questions just from the quantity of time. So let me encourage you, Dad, sometimes to reestablish that connection, you need a long time, a car ride with no phones, no music, just sit there. And if he won't talk, she won't talk, just ride till they start talking. They will, I promise you. Okay, here's the thing, when you're with your kids, you gotta be with your kids, so get off your phone. Gosh, (laughs) we are obsessed with everything but our own family. Get off your phone, put it up, put it away somewhere, be with your kids, get in their world, ask them good questions, think about the questions you wanna ask them before you're with them, spend time, and here's the deal, do things they enjoy. Like if they're into fishing or hunting, go fishing and hunting with them. If they're into opera, Good luck, you know. (laughs) But here's the thing. Listen, my son liked video games, and and some of you like video games, and I'm not against video games, but I hate playing video games. I didn't grow up playing video games. So I don't enjoy virtual reality. I like to go outside and actually be in reality, you know, and do stuff. So that's me, though. He loves video games. He loved to play Madden. And I love football, but I'm terrible. I don't ever play video games. He beat me every single time. So you think I enjoyed that? No. But I did it because it was a chance to be with him when he was a teenager. So let me encourage you, dads, keep that connection essential. Keep it meaningful. Don't let that drift happen. The reality is we're here to honor dads today. And kids, if you, if you have a great dad that spends time with you, affirm him. Dads, if your kids don't affirm you like mine hasn't yet today, call them and tell them, hey, I love being your dad, okay? Remember, it's Father's Day, so... Just encourage them. Well, let me give you some practical wisdom right as we leave. Just a second. Here we go. Wives, listen, I know. Many of you have prayed and prayed. You want your husbands to be this kind of dad. And they're not. And you're discouraged by it. I get that. And so oftentimes what I see in ministry, what I see happening is wives think, I will take that responsibility on myself to change my husband into the leader I wish he was. And so I will nag him and nag him and nag him. And, and, and let me ask you this, wives, has that worked? No. Does that work? Does anybody love to be nagged? No. That's the definition of insanity. I think doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, right? Doesn't work. Here's what you can do. What you can do is this is the only thing you can do in that situation. And I feel for you because I know you want your kids to have that kind of leader, but here's the only thing you can do. And it's a good thing to do is you can take your husband and you can fully entrust him to the one you entrust your soul to Jesus. Just give him to Jesus. Let Jesus be Jesus in his life. You don't understand. He won't listen to Jesus. Well, you can't make him. So, Just give him to Jesus and keep giving him to Jesus and keep giving him to Jesus and watch the Lord work in his life. And you become his encourager instead of his nag. You become someone who respects him, even if he doesn't deserve respect, that's okay. You never know what the Lord might do in his life. What if you're a child? What if you're a son or a daughter and you've got a dad that's not leading right now? What do you do? Well, what I would encourage you to do is simply communicate with them. There's lots of ways you can do that. You can text them or call them. You could actually have a real conversation with them, which most of us choose not to do because it's kind of uncomfortable and awkward. But here's what you say to your dad if he's not leading you well. Say, dad, I want you to lead me. Would you lead me spiritually? And I guarantee you there's not a dad in this room that wouldn't go, "Uh, I don't know how to do that, but I'll figure it out. Sometimes dads are insecure because they go, no, my kid's good. They don't really, they don't want me to do anymore. no they may really, especially if they're a kid who walks with the Lord, they want you to lead them. And and you say, well, kids, how do I do that? Let me encourage you to do something really old-fashioned. Actually write them a letter on paper with like a pencil or pen, and then fold it up and put it in an envelope. You can go to the post office and buy these things called a stamp, and you can put it on there and just put it in any mailbox anywhere, and they'll get it to your dad. And I promise you, your dad will open it, and he won't just read it once. He'll read it 50 times. It'll land on him, and the Lord will use it in his life. So communicate. And dads, what about you this morning? I mean, I'm not here to bash you today. You have a great opportunity in your life to lead your kids. There's no greater opportunity. And so I would encourage you to embrace it. But maybe you go, I'm not doing very well at it. Well, then ask for some help. Hardest thing in the world for a man to do is ask somebody else to help him. Trust me. The thing I hate about my life is failure. I hate to fail at anything. Can't stand it. I hate to have to tell my wife, I'm sorry, I failed again. I don't like it. But if I can confess that to you in front of my Savior who forgives me rapidly, instantly, as minute I have to confess my sin, then you can do the same thing with your family. And I've had to confess that to my son. I've had to confess that to my wife. I blew it sometimes, I'm sorry. I don't want that, I wanna get it right. That's important to be able to say that dads, ask for some help. It's okay, you're in a church, we're in a community here. They'll offer you some help. And I'll just end with this. Here's the deal your greatest opportunity is to lead your kids, but listen, your greatest need today for anyone, man or woman, child or adult, your greatest need is the same as all of us, and that is for forgiveness. Everyone is in the same situation when it comes to that. Because, like I said before, none of us can do anything to save ourselves. The only way that we can be saved is to put our faith, to entrust ourselves fully to Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes and we're done here this morning. I'm gonna ask no one to leave here just for the next couple of minutes. If that's you this morning with no one looking around but me and you'd say, hey, I've I've never really asked Christ to come into my life. I'm not sure where I would spend eternity. I don't think I have ever really been forgiven for my sin. But you can be this morning. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. He said, no one can come to the father unless he comes through me. So, the Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can do that this morning. Biblical. You can call upon his name and he'll save you. So, with nobody looking around but me this morning, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand if that's you. And you'd say, whether you're here in the room or online, the Lord will see you if you raise your hand. Just raise your hand and say, I want Jesus today. I need Jesus. I want to be saved. Maybe that's you this morning. If you raise your hand, I just want to lead you in a time of doing exactly what the Bible says, and that's calling on the name of the Lord. So you can use these words or your own words. You can repeat after me, whatever. The point is that you communicate to God you want to be saved today. So you can say this, dear God in heaven, I want to be saved today more than anything else. And I, I don't want my sin. I, I, I reject it. I know I'm a sinful person. I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. I want to be saved more than anything else. Would you please come into my life and save me? I trust you fully, completely today. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. Help me now to do your will, for I pray in Jesus' name.